You've tuned in to the Michigan Business Network. This is the Leadership Lowdown. I'm Vic Versero, and I'm so glad you joined us today. And today with us, we have an individual that I've had the pleasure to meet, but I'm uh, looking forward to hearing a little bit more about his story. His name is Chuck Ems, and he is the president of Chesme Capital Management. And, of course, he's also a colonel in the United States Air Force Reserve. So, Chuck, welcome to our humble abode. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, well, I, and I love the military background. You called me sir. I, we're already off to a great start. That's awesome. <laughs> so, well Chuck, deserved. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, Chuck, tell me a little bit uh, uh, about where you live, where you're from. Are you a Michigander? Uh, what's your What's your uh, overview of your background? Well, I am a Michigander. I grew up here in uh, mid-Michigan, born in Lansing at Sparrow Hospital. All right. Uh, moved to DeWitt when I was uh, five years old. So I uh, I spent my formative years in the the little cow town, the burgeoning metropolis of of Dewitt, <laughs> uh, back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Uh, graduated in 1987. Uh, I was fortunate enough to receive an appointment to the Air Force Academy out in Colorado Springs, oh. and I I took that and spent four glorious years serving time at a at a military service academy. And uh, then was commissioned as a, a second lieutenant in 1991, spent seven years active duty in the Air Force, and I got out and joined the reserves. And during that time, I started Chesme Capital Management. That was oh back in 2003. Wow. And, that, and yeah. that's, that's been an interesting time to be in, in capital management, too, I would assume, as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, you, um, you, uh, you mentioned the Air Force Academy. They just don't take anybody there, right? Uh, you have to have a little bit of connections to be able to get into the Air, Air Force Academy. Did you have um, uh, recently? We had a guest on our show who um, uh, was uh, fairly active in Michigan politics, uh, Bill Shooty. Did uh, did Bill have a little something to do with you getting into the Air Force Academy? Oh, he absolutely did. <laughs> uh, back when I was applying to the academy, he was a congressman. Yeah. And part of the uh, application process, in fact, the only part of the uh, service academy application process that's required by law is that you need to have a nomination from a congressman, oh. a congressperson, con uh, senator, the vice president. So there's various nominating sources, but usually they come through the senators and the congresspeople. Sure. And uh, Bill Schuette happened to be my congressman, and he gave me my nomination to the Air Force Academy. <laughs> How about that? Isn't that something? Small world. He was just our last week's guest out here, so it's so fun that that uh, you guys uh, knew each other, at least in that regard, right? So that's that's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great. Well, how did you how did you as a um, to aspire to the to the skies of the Air Force? Tell me about that. Uh, that's uh, that was pretty lofty goal, I would assume. What what was the original ins uh, inspiration for the opportunity to go that direction? <laughs> well, you know, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every <laughs> once in a while. Vic, I'll be completely honest with you. In high school, uh, you know, I was I was above average academically. I was above average uh, athletically. Um, I didn't even know the Air Force Academy existed. Mm. Of course, I've, I'd heard of West Point and, sure. and Annapolis, uh, the Naval Academy, uh, but I had no clue that the Air Force Academy existed. It wasn't until I got this call from this uh, very genteel South Carolina gentleman named Fisher DeBerry, who happened to be a football coach out there, <laughs> and he called me up one day and he said, Chuck, we want you to be the next quarterback, United States Air Force Academy. No way. <laughs> he did. He did. And I, so I started. That's how I learned about it. 
the 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 coaches you know came out and we we started talking with the coaches and so originally my my aspiration started with the opportunity to to play football out there sure. and, you know of course back in the day uh the service academies we all played Notre Dame and you know, mm. so the thought of running on the field down there in South Bend and in all my glory well that was uh that was a very short-lived dream once I got there <laughs> So if you, would you like me to expound yeah, on that? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear the rest of that. So, so one of the things that I, I've taken through my leadership path is, is being humble. Okay. So I <laughs> Life out, has a way of making you that way, right? <laughs> absolutely. And, and it is one of the greatest teachers uh, ever. So I, I got out there and you know, I thought, hey, I'm coming out of this thriving metropolis of DeWitt, Michigan. And uh, feeling that I was pretty darn smart and pretty good on the football field and um, went through the first semester out there, had gone through basic training, got through the first semester. And um, when I got my grades, I got a 2.21 grade point average that first semester out there. I didn't know they went that high. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I, it, it was stunning to me. And, and I should qualify that Vic. I knew day one, when I got there, there were many, many of my classmates that were much smarter than me, mm. much faster, much stronger. I mean, I went from thinking I was the cat's meow to yeah. <laughs> average, if not below average. Yeah. So, that 2.21 grade point average was really my first hurdle in life where I had to make a tough decision. And that decision was, I can't play football. Mm. I won't graduate if, 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 if I continue. Wow. So I had to make that, that decision as an 18 year old to, to give up my, till that point, my life dream, um, to in a, in order to, uh, uh, graduate. Wow, and what a big decision it would be for a young man at that at that stage in life. Uh, Chuck, I, I'm, I, I can't wait to unpack the rest of that. We have to go to a commercial break, but i got to tell you, so glad you're here today with us, Chuck, and so glad that you tuned in to the Michigan Business Network. This is the Leadership Lowdown. I'm Vic Bershero. We'll be right back. Paper or plastic? An apple or an orange? The choice is yours. The ability to choose is what really counts, especially when it comes to your health. Choosing the right health plan and physician will ensure you have access to Sparrow. Choose wisely. Choose Sparrow. Learn more. Call 1-800-SPARROW. Welcome back to the Leadership Lowdown. I'm Vic Versero here on the Michigan Business Network. And today's guest is Chuck Ems, and he is uh, the president of Chesme Capital Management, but also a, a colonel in the United States Air Force Reserve. And, and Chuck, uh, we learned in the last segment that you went out to the, the Air Force Academy with some pretty high hopes and uh, quarterback in, uh, dreams in your mind, and you get your first report card, and all of a sudden uh, you realize that, oh, my goodness, um, the, um, the, the level of competition and the people around me, I went from being the big fish in a, in a small pond to uh, being one of the fish in a big ocean, right? 
That's correct. Yeah. Tell me about that decision as a young man um, to make that. Were you making that alone? Did you have parents talk that through? Did you have buddies, somebody else in the Air Force? How did that work for you? Uh, You know, I I always had my parents uh, back then. But, uh, you know, as a freshman at at any service academy, you uh, don't have a lot of privileges. So uh, you maybe got to call your family uh, once every couple of weekends. Uh, So really, um, you know, having uh, been thrown into uh, a a squadron that, uh, you know, with several classmates from all over the country that uh, I I really didn't know that well, um, I didn't have anybody. But but, but that was okay. I mean, that, that that was okay. That was part of this entire experience at, at the Academy was, was figuring out, you know, how to deal with adversity. Mm, So, so I was, I was all right. Well, and so when, when you make a decision like that, you've actually come there, did you, I don't know how this works. You you weren't on a free ride, right? Uh, Or, or is that the way it works? You're there as their guest and, and they want you to play football, and now you say, you know what, I can't do it all. I'm going to go back. I'm going to be focusing on my schoolwork. Was that a, a decision that was embraced by the leadership uh, in your world at that time? Oh, yeah. So all of the service academies, uh, all of the cadets attend without cost. Okay. So so there there are no athletic scholarships or academic scholarships at uh, West Point Annapolis Air Force Academy. Yeah. Um, so everyone goes. I I hate to say for free because there's 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 quite a price to pay. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but but so it, it wasn't as if uh, if you don't play football anymore, you're in danger of losing a scholarship. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Yeah. So um, you know it it was just part of the process and and the you know you can as you can probably imagine you you referenced initially that. You know, you, you got to have a few attributes uh, going into uh, the application process to be considered, and you know, as far as grades and civic participation and things like that. So, so you got, you know, you, you're you're entering. Uh, you know, I entered the Air Force Academy um, equipped with certain, you know, characteristics that that I felt allowed me to overcome yeah. you know, that that adversity and move on, and really. Uh, Vic, more difficult than anything out there was uh, the academic load, mm. and and at, at the time, you know, I was I I, I have a, a child that's in in uh, college right now, and and I listen to her sometimes talk about her course load. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but at the time, um, academics, I I think you know I'm only speculating that the academy used academics as as kind of a training mechanism. To, to teach you mm-hmm. a higher level of time management organization prior to prioritization. Great point. Kind of put uh, you through the paces a bit, right? Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, the, I, I think the, the lowest credit load I had out there was 18 credits, oh, and geez. I had one semester <laughs> as high as 27 credits. Oh, my word. Yeah, now bounce that off of the fact that they never let us leave, and and so all we you know we basically worked out, ate, and studied the whole right. time. You were heads down, right? Yeah, but but those were some of the things that the that experience taught me was that time management, uh, organization, prioritization, and problem solving. Yeah, that uh, through whether it was athletics or or academics, um, it was all built in to that process. Mm. 
Well, you know, and, and you, you get into these kind of um, scenarios and sometimes, you know, it's, it's, uh, there, is there ever the moment when you go, my goodness, what have I done? I mean, the hard work, the, the change, I was going to go have football, have fun and do all the other things. And everybody else is in a different kind of environment um, in their college experience. Was there a time when you go, ah, maybe I made a, wrong, made a bad move here? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Nearly every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, you can, um, my wife will tell you that, uh, the day I graduated and packed up my stuff and head out, I looked in the rear view mirror and said, I'll never come back to this place. Mm. <laughs> and interestingly, since joining the reserve, the air force reserve for the last 23 years, my reserve job is I report directly to the director of admissions at the Air Force Academy. <laughs> so I'm the guy that's out there trying to convince the best and brightest young men and yeah. women to consider the Air Force Academy and mentoring them through their high school to career until they might choose to apply <laughs> and then evaluating them for the folks yeah. out at the academy. So I went from this guy who felt every single day Man, this is. T- I want to quit. <laughs> you're the little, you got a little guy on your shoulder screaming, "Don't go!" As you're trying to recruit him to join. <laughs> what a tough that's world. Right. <laughs> well, as much as I disliked it, Vic, it was the greatest decision I, I ever uh, made to go and to stay. So cool. God bless you. I, I can't wait to hear more, Chuck. So glad you're here on the Michigan Business Network. This is the Leadership Lowdown. I'm Vic Verser. We'll be right back with Chuck Hams. Managing your office supplies is key to a seamlessly functioning business. With over 90,000 items available for free next day delivery and no minimum order, DBI can solve all your office supply needs from pencils to coffee at the very best value. Call DBI and ask a sales representative to show you their product offerings or visit dbiyes.com and request a product catalog. DBI does all things office, office supplies, furniture, and environments. Welcome back to Leadership Lowdown. This is the Michigan Business Network, and I'm Vic Versero. So glad today we have Chuck Adams with us. He's the president of Chesme Capital Management. He's also a colonel in the United States Air Force Reserve. And Chuck, I'm really having fun with uh, kind of reliving some of these uh, decisions of a young man and, and what you've gone through. But, you know, um, uh, Air Force and all of the things that even though it's a huge part of your life and a lot of things, but... Uh, along the way, there's lessons learned, and, and you, at some point in time, um, moved on and, and uh, came back out of the military and, and began your own work in, in, um, uh, in the private sector. So uh, what was that transition like, and what was that decision-make like? Oh, it, it was, uh, when I look back on it now, Vic, it was extremely, uh, it, it's a case study mm. in confusion. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I you come out of the military and and they're they're so regimented rules, uh-huh. regulations. You got checklists for everything, and for every item of a checklist, there's 17 exceptions. And <laughs> so you you learn this foundation of of almost rote and muscle memory uh, in the military to get things done. Now, 
when you put it in the context of what the military does, uh, when you're talking about war fighting, uh, certainly those things are uh, critically important that you know mm. exactly what you do when you're in a war fighting situation. But, you know, for the other part of the military that, that, you know, isn't necessarily on the war fighting side, you know, there's, there's a little bit more flexibility in the rules and regulations. So when I got out, when I made the decisions to get out of uh, active duty and, and come to the, the civilian dark yeah. side, Ooh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was, I, you know, I, I found myself, um, oftentimes looking back and going, well, geez, how did we do it there? And, and really not seeing very many opportunities for a fit because the out, out in the civilian world, there was, uh, a lot more free thinking, a lot more, um, opportunity to, to go say, you know, trial and error, uh, you know, try things out. And so, um, one of the more interesting, uh, experiences I had is I was a contract engineer for General Motors. Hmm. And uh, if you want to uh, write a dissertation on a black and white uh, difference in management and leadership, uh, use the U.S. military <laughs> and General Motors. Wow. A couple it of was, big organizations. Are you saying that, that it was it was night and day difference? It, it was. It was uh, free and unfettered hey, here's where you go out and do your job at GM. Whereas in, in, in the military, it was, we follow these rules, these steps, do it, T, don't deviate, or if you are, make sure you get approval. Mm. Each side has its own pluses and minuses, for sure. Yeah. So, so I had that experience of, wow, I'm just they just kind of told me what to do, and and, and I guess I'm going to go off and do it the best way I know how. Um so that was really eye-opening uh, to me when when I when I got that experience at, at at General Motors, and so as I moved on uh, from General Motors, and I started thinking to myself, you know, I don't think I really want to be an engineer. It was good work, and and it was um, you know put food on the table, yeah. but it wasn't it wasn't my passion. Right. It, it didn't didn't excite me, and and I just happened to. Uh, reconnect with one of my uh, dearest childhood friends, um, and and he was working in the investment industry. And mm. and as we talked and we continued to get together, um, the more he talked, the more I became uh, enthralled with with his world. Yeah. So I spent um, every waking minute, every break I had as an engineer at GM, uh, reading all the the books, the industry books, uh, to get all licensed up so that I could go out and become an investment professional like <laughs> he was. Yeah. And, and I successfully did that. Um, well, I have to tell you, I own, I have some of those licenses and it's not an easy thing to get licensed in. So, uh, apparently your, your, uh, education and schooling, uh, at the air force Academy helped a little bit in your, in your uh, planning there. That's great. Oh, I think it, it definitely did. Yeah. It did. So, once I attained uh, the proper credentials, I um, I was able to to kind of start looking around out there for for what really tickled my fancy, and and being uh, an investment advisor was was a place that I ultimately landed, mm. and that's where I I I did work for a couple of uh, financial or investment advisory type institutions, but ultimately when I looked at it. Um, I decided that 
I think I can do this better. Yeah. I think I can build a better mousetrap. <laughs> well, and I think I think that's the one thing that that as you um, as you start thinking about that new uh, reset, if you will, in terms of what what your decision making was, there 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 had to be at that point in time some blending. Uh, between your uh, experience as a young man and some of the principles of how you operate gets ingrained when you're younger like that did was that was that background more helpful to you in this or did you have to fight back some of that regiment no it was actually very helpful um back when i started chesney it was uh 2003 so we were right on the heels of our uh, good friends at companies like Enron and WorldCom yeah. Yeah. that completely turned the uh, global uh, stock markets uh, on their head. So it was able to, you know, I was able to, to kind of look at the chaos that was going on uh, in the investment advisory world and start formulating um you know what I wanted a firm to look like. What did I? What I wanted to concentrate on as far as what my expertise would be. And so, you know, like the military, uh, one thing that I have dragged along uh, into my civilian world is always looking at three levels: the strategic level, the operational level, and then the tactical level. Hmm. Okay. And and one thing the military uh, just drilled into. Uh, my head and every other person that has served is you have to be a good follower to be a good leader. Mm. So starting with that strategic operational tactical framework, I realized I had to become a much stronger uh, subject matter expert at the tactical level. Yeah. I had to know more than the next person and certainly more than my clients. Uh, well, as an advisor, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Well, Chuck, I, I, we're going we're gonna to take a, a break here, but I, I think you've got the, the beginnings of our next segment for us to be able to talk a little bit about <laughs> some of this. You just gave us a whole bunch of really good stuff, and we're going to revisit that in our next segment. We'll be right back here on the Michigan Business Network. This is the Leadership Lowdown. I'm Vic Versero. We'll be right back. Most of us aren't looking around for accidents waiting to happen. That would be sort of odd. But when you have Accident Fund Workers' Compensation Insurance, that's exactly what they are doing. Accident Fund employees are the WorkSafe people. They take your safety very seriously because that's all they do. Workers' Compensation Insurance. That's why they're rated A excellent by AM Best. Go to AccidentFund.com slash WorkSafe and get the WorkSafe people. Accident Fund is a wholly owned subsidiary of Accident Fund Holdings Incorporated, the 10th largest workers' compensation insurer in the United States. Welcome back to Leadership Lowdown. This is the Michigan Business Network, and I'm Vic Versero. Chuck Ems is here with me today. He is the president of Chesme Capital Management, and of course, he's also a colonel in the United States Air Force uh, Reserve. And Chuck, I, I, I apologize, I haven't said this, but thank you for your service to our country, sir. I appreciate oh, thank that. Thank you. Well, it means a lot, and I, I uh, for whatever reason, uh, I guess it was my upbringing, I've just had this incredible um, emotional uh, heart 
for our military and uh, just love what you folks have done for us. And uh, the freedoms that I enjoy are directly a result of uh, some of the sacrifices you, you've made and, and other men and women around the world. So thank you so much for that. Chuck, uh, I'm, I'm having fun, too, with this leadership discussion we're having. And one of the things you said in our last segment um, I wanted to get back to because it was kind of an ABC recipe. Um, and whenever I hear those things, my, my, my ears perk up because I always know that the, we've got people in our audience that are looking for some treasures to take away from these kind of conversations. And you said that you broke things down into three different categories, strategic, operational, and tactical. Can you, can you discuss that with me and, and why that becomes your one, two, three in terms of how you look at problems? Absolutely. So, so that's kind of the, the foundation of, of everything that occurs uh, in, the, in the military. And really, uh, maybe without using those exact uh, words, uh, in, in civilian business, mm. you've, you know, you've got the strategic level where you have boards of directors and, and senior leadership that are kind of setting the, the vision uh, for the organization. And they'll pass that down to the, the operational folks to come up with kind of the big rock tools mm-hmm. to meet that uh, the mission and, and vision. And then you got the operators, you got the tactical folks, you got the folks that are actually out there, rubber meet the road and, uh, you know, making the, making it happen, whether it's with, with vendors, with, with clients. So um, as a leader, and as I ventured into uh, becoming self-employed, uh, you can imagine, uh, you can probably imagine that, that there was a, an enormous amount of mental grazing going on <laughs> on, on my part, uh, meaning at, at every level, uh, just trying to define, okay, what's the big picture? I had mentioned in the previous segment that, that through the chaos uh, created in the financial markets uh, back in the early 2000s, um, it really gave me a clarity on where I wanted to fit in this. I knew I didn't want to be everything to everyone. So from a, a strategic standpoint, I made some very intentional and deliberate decisions about um, really just the organization of my firm. Okay, so uh, right there, I wanted to be an investment advisor. I didn't want to be a broker. Mm. Okay, and there's a big difference in our world, uh, Vic, in that investment advisors, they impart advice for a fee. Brokers sell products for commission. Mm, yep, major okay. difference. Yep. Yeah, and one of the biggest aspects, which back when, uh, the, you know, early 2000s, uh, a word, I, I used to refer to it as the F word, a fiduciary. Mm. Back then, uh, the fiduciary standard of care was, was never talked about. And what that is, a fiduciary to someone is just, you have to put their best interest ahead of your own. And an investment advisor is held by law to that fiduciary standard. So that was probably uh, one of the bigger pieces to my deciding that, okay, I want to be an investment advisor for sure because we're held to this higher standard as a fiduciary. And then from there, I wanted to uh, kind of flush out what type of business uh, model I wanted to have. Okay, and that what I ultimately settled on for Chesney was we were primarily going to be, at least at the beginning, uh, serving the institutional marketplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 401ks, you know, pensions, working with corporate dollars uh, that organizations you know have in their surplus, things like that. And that turned out to be uh, a very 
a wise decision uh, from the standpoint that, that that institutional focus that we had ultimately uh, turned into a, a pretty healthy individual book of business, meaning as we worked with these institutional organizations, people in those organizations said, hey, I'd like you to do that with my money. Will you work with me as an individual? Well, we uh, we started opening up those floodgates and, and uh, built a nice book of business there. So, yeah. so strategically, I felt like I had a solid focus that was narrow. And remember, at the time, Vic, it was just me. Oh, I didn't yeah, have right. employees. I didn't, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I always tell you when I, you know, I, I mean, I, I, you, seventy-five thousand uh, dollars off a home equity line to get <laughs> Chesney up and running because I didn't have a job. It was just me doing all this mental grazing on who I wanted to be and who I wanted Chesney to be. Well, isn't that true, Chuck? When you find that people take um, leadership risk, and as as time goes on, you know, sometimes, sometimes those big dreams and big things they come with risk and they come with some challenges. And and uh, man, I love that you're that you're sharing your story with us today, Chuck. I'm, I love that you've tuned into the Michigan Business Network. This is the Leadership Lowdown. I'm Vic Versero, and we'll be right back. Sinair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sinair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sinair.com. You've tuned in to the Michigan Business Network, and thank you for listening to the Leadership Lowdown. I'm Vic Vershero with Chuck Ems. He's the president of Chesme Capital Management and also Colonel United States Air Force Reserve. And, of course, Chuck, we're talking about some uh, interesting things here. And as you started talking in this last segment, we were talking about strategic and operational and tactical. Um, you know, that's that's a lot going on, and then as a leader, you're probably balancing all of that. But in that leadership position, you've got to be in a spot where you're helping everybody understand the bigger picture. So does that sometimes have trouble trickling down or do you have some techniques to get it to make sure everybody understands and, and, and identifies with those three elements? Absolutely, uh, Vic. It, you know, it's imperative that, that every, every single person in the organization understands the mission and vision and, and really buys into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that what I see when I talk to other uh, self-employed uh, entrepreneur types, one thing that uh, I think that the military taught me was to ensure that you're setting proper expectations because your people, your employees, they are everything to you. They are your lifeline. You, they are the folks that are sitting in front of the clients. Uh, under the rules of engagement, you know, the operational level there, uh, based on the, the vision that you've set forth. But, but they're the lifeline. Yeah. Um, so setting proper expectations for employees is imperative. And, and when you, if you see them deviating from that line, uh, one thing in the military that they always, they taught you when you, when you uh, entered a command position is that no one 
No employee or no subordinate should ever learn anything new at their annual review. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's right. So if you come into an annual and you say, hey, you did this, this, and this wrong, and they go, huh? First time I, they heard it, I, not I good. Yeah. <laughs> so setting that expectation and making sure that feedback loop, good and bad, you know, to the employees is spot on, and it's an active, living organism uh, within the organization well, Chuck, let is me, key. Let, that's really good stuff. And let me stop just for a second. I had an interesting conversation with a, with a, a business partner of mine um, and um, this morning, in fact. And one of the things that him and I were, were reveling in is um, his ability to take criticism. And I, and I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to set up here, coming from a military um, background, I don't think I could be wrong. You tell me. I don't think it's easy to 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 um, offer constructive criticism upward. And I think in business, it's it's hard to do that as well. When you've got a boss, when you've got other leadership in the company, and you see something that's radically wrong or maybe not going the right direction, uh, is it safe to to speak upward to give that feedback? So. What are your what are your thoughts on that? Because you come from, I think, a different background in that regard with the military. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's very true. I mean, you go into any kind of meeting, any kind of decision making process, and and really, you know, the the guy or gal with the, the greatest number of of accoutrements on their shoulder, yeah. uh, ultimately is the decision maker. And and I, I think it's probably a lot more uh, inviting to diversity of thought and diversity of experience these days. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, the person, the highest ranking person is the ultimate uh, yeah. decision maker. Yeah. And, it, and so, you know, when you talk about CEOs versus generals, you know, it's the same. It's, it's exactly the same uh, across the, the way. Um, I, because I've only been, uh, you know, Chesney is a small business. Yeah. So when when you're talking about these three different levels, you know, a lot of people are doing a lot of things at every single level. So it's not like we have a board of directors that gives us. It's it's a lot of people wearing a lot of different hats. And and another issue that I see that that might plague uh, small to medium sized businesses, especially if it was. You know, something like, like my story where it's one guy that went out and, you know, trying to trailblaze the world huh. um, is is that a lot of owners expect their employees to act like owners, yeah. to stay late, you know, to sacrifice, to this and that. And although that would be nice and although that might have a long-term payoff for that employee, it, it's not really fair it, It's because ultimately the rewards of uh, entrepreneurism um, land on the self-employed owner. Yeah, sure. And and so to to kind of to expect that your employees will behave like owners, you know, it's not not always fair in, in that case. Well, so that's pretty good. That's pretty good observation on your part. And and I think um, um, we don't have time in this segment, but it, but I want to I want to go back to something you said earlier which i think fits into this which you said you said a good follower 
you got to be a good follower to be a good leader. And so I think in the um, when we get back in our next segment, I'd like to have you unpack that for us because when I think about you know the control and command world of of always being in the right as the leader pointing down, how does that uh, square up with being a good follower to be a good leader? I wanna I wanna spend some time with you on that, Chuck. And I'm so glad you are spending time with us here on the Michigan Business Network. This is the Leadership Lowdown. I'm Vic Vershero, and we'll be right back. If you own or manage a business, information technology can be frustrating and can negatively impact your bottom line. For real-world examples of businesses conquering their technology challenges, along with straightforward business technology talk, join me, Mike Maddox, and my co-host each and every weekend at 9 a.m. and 2 p.m. with replays throughout the day on Bottom Line IT, presented by ASK on the Michigan Business Network. Thanks for tuning in to Leadership Lowdown. This is the Michigan Business Network. I'm Vic Versero, and I've just had a wonderful time here today talking with Chuck Ems. He is the president of Chesme Capital Management and, of course, a colonel in the United States Air Force Reserve. And so, Chuck, as we talk about, and, and I'm going to rush for our few last few minutes that we've got together, but um, I, I wanted to make sure I went back and touched this because people trying to give feedback to higher-ups or to management types or to CEOs, CEOs. Sometimes there's ego and a lot of other things that enter into it. There's a famous story about a Korean airline that because of the, the culture situation um, where where an underling does not tell the, tell the supervisor something that's wrong, they flew the plane into the mountain. And of course, right. the, the whole notion is that you've got to be able to communicate and, and talk about things that are important. How, tell me about being a good follower in order to be a good leader. Well, I think that, uh, you know, one thing that uh, I've always believed is that uh, you can learn uh, a treasure trove of information about leadership from every leader. Mm. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes (laughs) it's really good. Sometimes it's really bad. But but even if you're unfortunately uh, have the experience of of a a horrible leader, learn from that. Mm. Do not repeat those mistakes. So I, I constantly uh, tell my, my kids that when they run into people as they're growing up and becoming, they're, they're adults now, you know, they, they, they talk about those situations where they've run into someone who was rude or impatient or, and I just say, well, learn from that. Yeah. You didn't like that. Why didn't you like that? Now, now make that part of your leadership style. Mm. So it doesn't matter what situation you're in, but as a good follower, that's the that's the tactical level. You have to demonstrate your value to the organization at the tactical level, and when you do, the leaders above you will recognize it. And that's that's kind of the old promotion system. Then you get pulled up to the operational level, where now you are in charge of the tactical subject subject matter experts, and then ultimately. You know, if you continue to perform, you become one of the strategic thinkers in mm. the firm. Yeah. And so I've had uh, the, the fortunate experience to, to be around several uh, wonderful leaders at every level, tactical, operational, and strategic. Um, 
and I'm I'm just as fortunate to have been around some pretty bad leaders <laughs> at, yeah. at the, those levels. Now, where where someone that I've led might put me in those categories, <laughs> I don't I don't know. Uh, I hope it's positive. Yeah. Uh, but but ultimately, that's that's kind of the follower uh, game is to watch your leaders and adopt or not adopt the things you see as uh, you know being a, a strong quality. Right, leadership. right. Well, and I think you, you, you there's just so much uh, we can unpack with you, Chuck. You've had such an interesting life and and have contributed so much. But you know, one thing I don't want to don't want to do with a little bit of time we have left is is walk past some of the um, I think concepts of a way you you put your resources and your treasure uh, where your where your heart is. And I and I I think um, you know uh, one of the things that we talked about. Um, was uh, trying to um, support local and do things that are impactful. Tell me, tell me your thoughts on on uh, trying to make a difference rather than just writing a check. Trying to make a difference. Yeah, Vic, that, that's a big thing to me. Is uh, I, I don't like to just write the check to uh, to an organization and let them go off and hopefully get some <clears throat> some sort of uh, gratification out of that. Um, you know, I like to dive in and get involved at the human level. So, um, you know, one of the things I did back in 2012, uh, an, an, another individual from DeWitt named Tim Honeycutt, we started Zero Day, which basically, uh, when we found out there was a, a, a large population of homeless veterans around here in the Lansing area, um, we decided to to take action and, and not, you know, not just write a check to another organization, but actually get in and start dragging homeless veterans out of that condition and provide them the supportive services they need. And, and so I just uh, implore people that might be listening to this to, to really take an interest in individuals mm. that, that might be hurting, that might not be in the same fortunate position as you, and just make yourself available for that conversation, for that opportunity to, to say, you know, I'm happy to help. Pride is uh, a great thing, and it's a it's a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. So if you make yourself available to others that might not be as fortunate to to you, um, you'll be surprised. Well, at, at and how... it's and it's not just it's 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 also being aware, looking looking at the situation. You said this this is called uh, zero day. Is that true? Zero day. Yeah. Correct. And so is that is that is that is there a website for that? There is. It's uh, zero dash day. Dot us. Zero. And I think it's. I think they started a, a Facebook page. I'm not on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm probably one of the last four people not God, on Facebook. God bless I, you. Hold out for as long as you can. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, and, and we're going to run out of time here, Chuck, because I, I just have really been uh, taking notes and really mesmerized by what you've been sharing with us. But what a difference it is when you decide to, to um, um, follow your heart, pursue, keep your eyes open, and look for local opportunities to make a difference. I know that um, um, with your background and with your um, uh, intensity in terms of trying to do some uh, things and make a difference. Um, there may be people that want to get a hold of you. They might want to have you to their Rotary Club or whatever it is. But um, if you're uh, if you're willing, would you tell us how how do people get a hold of uh, Chuck Hems? Well, you can uh, you can always go through uh, chesme.com. That's C H E S M E dot com, or you can give us a call. Give me a call at the office five one seven six six nine one six zero zero. Uh, be happy to to chat with you uh, personally or professionally. 
Well, Chuck, I, I just can't thank you enough for your time today. I want to say thank you for your service to our country. I want to say thank you for our service to uh, those uh, homeless veterans uh, along the way and uh, really meaningful. I'm looking forward to seeing you around town and uh, continuing a conversation on leadership. Chuck, you are a treasure, and we can't thank you enough for all that you do. Well, thanks, Dick. Thanks for the kind words. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure being here. All the best to everyone out there listening to the Michigan Business Network. This is the Leadership Lowdown. Vic Versero here. Looking forward to sharing with you next time. Take care.